Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is, the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417-295-0723. Titan Title and Closing of Missouri is ranked as Missouri's top title company for real estate investor transactions. Titan is your local title and investor-friendly experts. Whether you're seeking wholesale or assignments, subject tos, Titan can help you with your transactions. Sam and her team have made it their passion and drive to give investors a learning opportunity to expand their knowledge in order to grow and succeed in their ventures. I personally use them. They're fantastic. Give the experts a call today. 417-882-2100. Welcome to the Growth Circle Podcast, discussing topics of personal growth, gathering stories of individuals embarked on the path to success, and most importantly, providing a platform for individuals that want to learn and grow. And now, here are your hosts, Jake Ingledew and John Mitchell. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Growth Circle Podcast. Super excited, excited about today's guest. Uh, we've got Dane Logan here today as my co-host. Um, so today we're going to be uh, interviewing actually Justin Skinner, and he actually wrote a book called Professional Failure, uh, Using the Gift of Failures to Better Yourself and Those Around You. So I'm super excited to dive into that. Um, but before we have him take it over and kind of tell us his story, I'm just going to give you a brief bio. He is a farm-raised entrepreneur, author, speaker, and performance coach from the great Midwest. He lives in Springfield, Missouri uh, with his beautiful wife, Kendra Skinner, and their little dog, Daisy. Uh, Justin played uh, collegiate basketball, oh no, baseball, as a two, uh, two-way player and is now a full-time author and real estate investor. He is the author of the book that I just mentioned and the host of the Professional Failure Podcast, so definitely check out his content. Uh, where he and his guests shared uh, share stories and lessons learned from past failures. He is passionate about sharing uh, these lessons he has learned with others so that he may enjoy the his own success in life. Um, in his downtime, he enjoys playing pickleball. And maybe we'll talk about pickleball on For here. Sure. Maybe Dan can sh- share his story about pickleball. Sure. Um, but Justin, yeah, tell us, how did you get into writing a book? Tell us your story. And yeah. uh, we'll just kind of see what happens. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And I'm sorry I sent you such a long intro. I didn't realize it was <laughs> that long. Um, but yeah, I uh, grew up here in Springfield. And uh, so it's been fun. But I grew up on the, on the north side of Springfield, just outside the city limits. I uh, grew up on, like you mentioned, a dairy farm. So uh, a lot of like the analogies in my books, I refer back to farming, uh, which is just, you know, I guess it's in my blood. Both my grandparents were farmers. Um, so that was really fun to learn, but yeah, growing up, um, had a lot of room to run and a lot of room to mess up on the farm, had a lot of of land and I have stories of, which I actually, that reminds me of another story of failure, but, uh, stories of, you know, flipping four wheelers and, uh, driving tractors where I shouldn't. So, (laughs) um, but man, it was, it was just a a great playground for me and my siblings, uh, to kind of roam. And, uh, so growing up, uh, I loved baseball. 
played a lot of baseball, wound up playing baseball in high school and then had some success there and then uh, got recruited to play in college and then played in college and then um, was planning to play professionally, didn't work out. But uh, then we kind of got in, I actually got a degree in graphic design because I didn't know what I wanted to do in college. People I would always ask, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know what I want to do. I just want to play baseball. <laughs> so I got a degree in that and then uh, wound up using that uh, right out of college, went into an ad agency here in town at AdSmith um, and then wound up uh, working at a publishing company as well. And then one thing led to another and uh, got fired from the publishing job. <laughs> and uh, that led to us going on our own. We started Prixel Creative, uh, I forget what year, maybe 2012. And then from there, uh, we, we ran an agency. My wife and I, uh, Kendra and I ran that and uh, still own it to this day. We ju- it just looks a little different. Um, but yeah, and that led to real estate and real estate led to writing. And now here we are. So it's kind of been one long chain link of events, but, uh, it's funny. I'd never would have imagined I'd be here in this position, but that's uh, awesome. It's fun. So do you feel like, um, a lot of those, like starting a business and doing real estate has allowed you to like have more time for the creative outlet to be able to do things like writing this book and starting the podcast. For sure. Yeah. So, so I always, I do a lot in the mornings. So I I forget when I got in the rhythm of this. I used to not be a morning person at all. I didn't like waking up in the morning. That was a lot due to college and baseball. I Uh didn't want to wake up and go to class. Right. I got in the rhythm of just waking up early and, uh, I did a lot of projects early. So we, I, built a couple apps early in the morning. It was just for, you know, an hour in the morning, I'd wake up and do that. So that's kind of carried over and, uh, that just transitioned into writing. So that, I think that early morning process gives me a lot of time to, mm-hmm. to devote some side projects, but you're absolutely right. The, the passive investing that we do and the passive cash flow that we have allows us to focus on some more creative things that probably aren't going to make us money like this book. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's fun. I feel like, uh, we wrote it and I wrote it to, to possibly open doors and create, you know, opportunities and not necessarily to, to make money. So mm-hmm. it's been fun. Well, I'm, I'm excited to dive into the book. I haven't uh, read the book yet. Um, I can tell probably from the title a lot about what it's going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would love for you to kind of dive into how you got into writing, like why you chose this topic, yeah, and uh, talk a little bit about the book and maybe some some key pointers that for people to to know about the book and they should definitely go pup or uh, buy it. Yeah, Amazon, right? It's on Amazon, Amazon, now? Barnes and Noble. It's on Audible. Just cool. recorded a, an Audible version, so yeah, however you like to listen. Were, to were it. you the narrator on that? I was. Nice. That was a full day process. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of funny because I think I'm just someone with maybe with a different motor, and the the editor who was the the voice editor, sound editor who was there with me. We were recording, and he kept saying, "Hey, do you want to take a break?" I'm like, "No, let's just let's just keep going <laughs> through just it." Rock and, roll. and I stood up the whole time, so they had a chair. I just I'm used to standing up. Yeah. I don't love yeah. sitting down for extended periods of time. Um, but yeah, I, I stood up the whole time. I read it, and I get done with the chapter. And he's like, "You should take a break." I'm like, "No, I feel good. Let's just keep going." <laughs> so we knocked it out. Honestly, I think we knocked it out in like six or seven hours, wow. and then we recorded wow. actually uh, the article which I'll get into uh, for the Kinsman Journal as well. So uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny sometimes, and I think my wife can sometimes attest to like, hey, you need to like just rest and just uh, slow down. Where my, my, my wife too. Like, nah. I mean, you have the hustle of a farmer. Yeah. Truly. That, yeah. that That's something that you were growing up and you accustomed to. They say that the best, if you ever want like 
the best workers recruit farmers yeah and then turn them into whatever you need them to be but for sure I, at some point i want to ask you about the narration part because i considered narrating for audiobooks yeah just in general but oh, you have an amazing voice you thank do you. well hey, thank <laughs> you. yeah yeah and he's very good looking every time very we go to a restaurant looking. they always say that no the girls are always true. like you're true. so handsome we <laughs> love your face and your voice that was a really weird <laughs> yeah that was a funny story when we sat down but um, you know, it, it's fascinating to me because you'd mentioned something, Justin, you said you weren't a morning person yeah. and the more people I meet in this business, um, and, and more specifically who are authors or entrepreneurs or out there, like really making things happen, they've switched to becoming morning people, myself yeah. included. Yeah. I never used to get up earlier than like 10 if I didn't have to, yeah. but can you describe to me what transit, how that transition happened for you and, yeah. and really the value that you see? having become taught yourself to be a morning person. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know people that, that get a lot done and they're night people and that's fine. It just never worked for me. But what I found is in the mornings, uh, it's just, you're just clear from a lot of clutter in your mind. And by the time, honestly, the end of the day, I have a lot of things going through my head. My mind is kind of cluttered and I'm like, just ready to go to bed. So Mm -hmm. for me waking up in the morning, and I know there's been studies on this too, um, but waking up in the morning and have a clear mind to think through, you know, topics or write or or read, it's just it's almost like you have a fresh slate every day. Mm-hmm. So I just have really enjoyed that playground early in the morning um, to write and think. And, and honestly, you, there's just not a ton of distractions in the morning. Yeah. It's pretty peaceful. Um, the world hasn't really woken up yet. Mm-hmm. So it really is, a, It's for me, kind of a, a fun place to be. It's and, also... Oh, go oh, ahead, man. I was going to ask... Are you, do you kind of follow along the a similar line of Miracle Morning? I know Jake uses mm-hmm. that. I mean, how does your routine look? Because that, that yeah. sets the, your routines make or break everything that you do. Yeah. And that's why I kind of want to touch on this, especially when it comes to writing. Uh, you said you use some of that time to really focus on your writing first yeah. thing. Yeah. Instead of letting it get away from you or, or stacking it on top of all of your other stuff at the end of the day. Yeah. So was that like one of the reasons you were able to really get this project done? It's not sure. easy to write a book. So. No, no, for sure. And actually, I was in a mastermind with Hal Elrod. Um, oh, the that's author awesome. Of, uh, that's so awesome. it was fun to see. So honestly, a lot of this came from just like my version of The Miracle Morning. But I read the book. I love like his six different things he does in the morning. But what I did for a long time when I was writing this book was I'd wake up and I'd do uh, 20 minutes of physical exercise, just like body weight, like push-ups or pull-ups or crunches. And mm-hmm. then I do 20 minutes of reading, 20 minutes of writing. And that was kind of my miracle morning, if you will, like yeah. my hour. So yeah. And what would happen is I'd sit down and I'd read for 20 minutes. My brain would get rolling and then I would take that into writing. And sometimes I'd write for an hour. Sometimes I'd write for 20 minutes and it'd be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just the point of sitting down over and over again. So learning from Hal, uh, honestly, and how he did things and just, it's a, it's a lot about, like there's really not a secret to, to writing a book because I'm not this uber talented writer. I think it just forms as you go and your, your thoughts uh, become clearer, but it's really just comes down to consistency. That's the biggest thing. Right. It's just writing. And I would take a day off. So I take Sundays off and I wouldn't do that just a break. And I yeah. think it really did keep me fresh. Because then Monday morning roll around and I'm like ready to go again. How interesting! Um, so yeah, that helped definitely. The Miracle Morning helped a lot. And about how t- how big was that gap of the time that you were writing? Was it a, like a 15 minutes here, 20 minutes, or was it just like you set a timer, like just put a few pa- you know things on the page or what? Yeah, the my goal was three to four hundred words. So that was the goal. And sometimes I'd write 1,500 words. Sometimes I'd barely get to 300, and it was mm-hmm. awful. But one thing that always stuck with me was uh, my wife and I took a trip up to Maine and, like, the, the northeast. 
and we stopped by uh, Norman Rockwell and his house and museum. Wow. And I, so he's probably my favorite artist. I, I still love art to this yeah. day. My wife's a huge artist, but uh, it's just fun to see the creation process. But anyway, his thing was, uh, I think he had the quote where, you know, it's inspiration. Uh, someone asked him about inspiration and he said, uh, the funny thing about inspiration is it strikes me every day at 9 a.m. Oh, right, and right. it was just him, and that. he like pumped out so much stuff for the, the Saturday Evening Post, I believe it was, and he just kept going, but it was because he just sat down, even when he wasn't inspired, and he just created. And I think there's a lot to do with that. The same with writing. There were mornings where I'd write, and I'm like, this is terrible. And you just <laughs> write. Um, and, and then some mornings it would just flow and I'd write for an hour and a half. But I think it was just the process of making myself sit down and write yeah. that kind of formed um, formed the book, honestly. That's so, super cool. Neil Gaiman, who writes a lot of fiction and, mm-hmm. and fantasy, he wrote Sandman and some other stuff. He said he'll set aside two hours every single day. And he goes, I set that time aside and I'll go and sit there and I give myself time to write. And if I don't write, I guess I'm just sitting there for two hours. So yeah. he's like, I turns out I would rather write than just sit there. <laughs> exactly. So, I like and that. that's how he's pumped out so many books. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's really something to that. There's something super powerful about getting stuff done, especially the, sometimes they're not necessarily the hardest tasks. Like, um, you know, like sitting down to physically do the writing, is not the hard thing to do or even exercise is really not, that hard yeah but those are like some of the most important things that we can do when you knock them down Mm -hmm. and get them out of the way it's like you just build momentum for the day and you just have so much more energy and and drive so uh, that's that's cool that you're doing that the other thing too that i learned from that mastermind i was in uh so brandon turner bigger pockets Mm -hmm. uh, i was on a call with him one time and he basically broke it down i just asked him like how are you writing these books because he produces so much stuff yeah and he just said honestly i break it down into small chunks and i think his his thing was he'd write on note cards and he'd have 100 note note cards Mm -hmm. for a book and then he'd just pick up a note card and he'd write on that note card uh every day and that was how he did it that made a lot of sense to me so that was why i had the 300 to 400 word Uh uh, goal Mm -hmm. and it's because i know when you think about writing a book man it it could be anywhere from 35 to eighty thousand words and that can be overwhelming where you don't even want to sit down and, and do it but if you can just break uh, writing into little chunks, it makes a huge difference. And honestly, you can apply that to anything, anything. Yeah. Like yeah. Just little bite-sized chunks that you can do every day and just be consistent. With. I, I tell people this all the time, and I probably have mentioned this a thousand times on the podcast, is my favorite scripture is by small and simple things or great things brought to pass. Yeah. Just do the small things on a consistent basis, and mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're going to hit that growth curve. You know? Exactly. So I that, love that. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to deep dive into the book, yeah. um, but before we do, like – can we go through kind of the the science or the art behind like creating the book? So you're obviously you're writing yeah. down stuff consistently, but are you doing it based off of chapters? Like how does that yeah. how does that look and and flow? Yeah. So again, it was from advice from someone else because I know didn't know what I was doing, but I was in that mastermind and I had probably four. Actually, there's probably ten or twelve other guys, other authors in this group. A couple of them had you know. Uh, sold over a hundred thousand books and they'd done it multiple times. So I could pick their brain literally every two weeks and be like, Hey, here's where I'm stuck. Um, but as far as how it formed, one of the biggest things they told me was to, to basically get 12 to 14 chapters, write chapters down what you think the different topics could be and then form sub chapters from that and then write Mm -hmm. on those sub chapters. So the hardest part was at the end, I didn't, I wasn't that organized with the the chapters and, uh, I, as far as the flow goes, uh-huh. it was I was bouncing around everywhere. So that was the hardest part. Was once I, I had written everything down, 
having to organize or trying to organize it because obviously with a fiction story you can go like you know linear and you can go down to the story with this you're kind of just writing and and hoping it flows so there was definitely editing going back i had an i hired an editor here locally she was great Uh, her name was brandy kepley um she was amazing but she helped me really kind of work through and say hey this doesn't make sense this doesn't flow well let's rework this so that helped a lot honestly just having a lot of different eyes on it i've heard the heart and i don't know how true this is or not but i heard one of the hardest parts is like at the end when you have all this extra stuff yeah you're like well we gotta cut it exactly Uh, yeah and it's also hard too because uh at the end once you get it wrapped up and ready to like go to print i had proofs i'd wake up there was one time i woke up at like 3 30 a.m and i'm like crap i gotta add this to the book (laughs) and that happened a couple different times where i'm trying to add stuff to it as well Uh and i know and people who 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 i talk to that have written books say that you just have to be finished yeah and then you know maybe in 30 years the revision comes later exactly yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. and then maybe in 30 years you can do a follow-up or you can do a revised version yeah but you just have to be finished and there's something to just being done and knowing that it's not perfect um but that's okay Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's so I also write books. Well, in the process of, yeah. of writing, but I do fiction and, and fantasy. It's nothing like a, something like this. And the, the most interesting thing is your subconscious is always working on it. Yeah. And it will just drop more ideas to mm-hmm. you at the most random times, 3 a.m., right before you're about to go to sleep, while you're at the gym, and you start getting these ideas. Uh, so, like, hearing how you're saying, you know, you have to accept that it's not going to be perfect. I've heard yeah. many authors say that and that it's never going to be, quote, unquote, finished yeah. the way you would finalize something. You can come back, write the revision or, you know, if, you, if you're like a J.K. Rowling, you go back and you write five others after it and, yeah. and bring the details forward. But uh, I love how you said that you just got to kind of be finished and then yeah. move on from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you totally understand. And that's where I've never written fiction. So yeah. that's where it'd be interesting to, to see it from that perspective as well. Well, and the, the coolest thing about being like, or talking about writing, I, I love that we're on this subject is it's the most challenging and rewarding thing I've ever done in my yeah. life. I, I find more joy and heartache in this than anything I do. And so <laughs> I think one of the, the things people don't realize is, it takes so much out of you because it's coming. It's one of the unique things that you are creating from nothing. Yeah. And that, and that's a huge undertaking, mm-hmm. right? Whereas opposed to standing up a business, we, you know, follow a lot of steps that mm-hmm. starting a business takes and this and that. Well, when you're writing, it's kind of the wild west. There's a million different strategies behind mm-hmm. it. Um, there's, there's the school of thought where you're either plotters or you're what's called a panster. Yeah. The plotters go in and they plot out the chapters and they have a framework and they spend a lot of the upfront time planning where a plot, a panster is like, I'm just going for it. And then they go along the way, right? They're, they're shooting from the hip. So I, I love that you kind of, I, I at, uh, arrived at the same um, kind of realization through people saying, you really should spend time plotting a little yeah. bit because I went so far in one direction, I got off track and had to spend like a year revising stuff. Yeah. So Yeah, no, I definitely yeah. think there's something to organization. And then like what you're talking about is just, it's vulnerable to, mm-hmm. to write or create. I don't know. Have you guys either of you read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? No. So I think I've skimmed some of it, okay. and there's some good stuff in there, but I have not actually read the book. Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's short. It's not a big book, but it just talks about like the war within and the war within yourself when you're creating anything, either art or writing, and it's just this battle. And then once you you know win the battle yourself, then the battle's with 
other people out there because there's <laughs> always going to be someone who thinks you're an idiot. There's yeah. always going to be someone who's yeah. like, well, that's stupid. I could have done better. Right. But uh, you just have to accept that not everyone's going to like it and that's okay. Yeah. 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 So tell us a little bit about like what the book's about and yeah. how did you arrive on this topic? Yeah. Yeah. it's uh, a good question. Really the overall, um, I guess theme is what I just want to shift people's mindset. So on the back it says, you know, failures are a gift. But ultimately, with the book, I want someone to read it and then just be encouraged to action. Uh, that's one of the biggest things is I think people get so focused on results and they get so focused on, well, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to finish first or I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to be good at it. And I think that really stymies a lot of people's creativity or opportunities in the future. So uh, the biggest thing, I think, or one of the biggest things is just like, focusing on lessons within failures and then seeing failures as as a blessing instead of this like weight that holds you down and and you know because because i've seen i've seen guys and i've seen men and women alike where they fail once and then they just they think of themselves as a failure and they're like well i'm not going to try that or i'm just not good at that or i don't have a good memory and it just drives mm-hmm. me nuts sometimes yeah. Yeah. um but yeah. yeah so that's that's kind of the the heart behind it well let me ask you a question about yeah. Uh, kind of on the opposite end of that, when do you know, and and I'm going to consider you an authority on failure right now, uh, when do you know that maybe you're just terrible at something and you should stop doing the thing anymore as opposed to being like, you know, like I'm learning from my failures, that sort of thing. Like, where is that line where you're like, I'm awful at this. I probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Honestly, I don't know that I know the answer, but (laughs) I would think, you know, if you're getting to the point where it's stressing you out so much and you're not enjoying it, um, then don't do it. But I think if you can, for me at least, there are a lot of things where maybe I don't enjoy doing them, um, but I tried and I was terrible at first and that kind of formed where the better you get, the more you like it. It's this weird, yeah. yep. weird paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is, if in the beginning, if you're really bad, you're probably not going to enjoy it. Um, but if you keep doing it and you keep sticking with it, uh, eventually you may find some joy in it. So mm-hmm. there's this, I don't know, there's a balance of, yeah, this isn't worth my time or this is causing me more frustration than anything. Maybe I need to shift my focus to something else, but I still am a firm believer that it's about action and it's what we can do in our moments instead of just standing still and saying that's probably not for me, just giving it a try and, and seeing if it is. Yeah. I don't I don't know why there's such a bad stigma around failure. Like failure is only a failure if you don't learn or grow from it. Exactly. In my mind. It's yeah. like the quicker you fail, the, the quicker yeah. you learn and grow. Yeah. Like yeah. So we are, uh, Dane and I have talked about that where it's just like, just go take action. You don't yeah. know how to do something. Go take action. You're going to yeah. learn along, along the way. Cause you're going to make mistakes Exactly. and it's okay to make mistakes, Yeah. but you'll supercharge your learning curve so much quicker yeah. if you just go and take action. My theory is that I think it's just beat into us in, in school and yeah. I'm a product of the public school, honestly, but, um, I think it's not just public, it's private school too, mm-hmm. but it's all based around grades. It's, it's based around you got to get 100%. If it's not 100%, then you're not doing your best or, you know, you're failing. And I just think it's the wrong way to do it. I think we should be more, um, you know, trying things and failing. And I actually mentioned that in the book, too, about, um, you know, I just don't want to complain and say we're doing all these things wrong. But one of the biggest things is just asking questions in school. And I remember myself sitting in class and being afraid to answer a question for fear of being wrong or getting laughed at. And mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I was an outcast or anything, but it's just that fear. So yeah. if we could somehow celebrate 
the asking of dumb questions, I think it yeah. would be just amazing. And, and honestly, I think I would have had uh, more fun in school yeah. if it was more of a learning atmosphere. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, you're uh, you're not a C student and you can't get into this because you have C's you, you learned a lot. And I think it's like the, um, what is it like the most improved players like in NBA? They have those that award uh-huh. in the NBA. Honestly, I think there should be more of that in school. It's like, yeah. hey, this yeah. person started here, um, and they wound up here. They're the most improved student. That to me would be more beneficial than like cum laude and like all these awards and like, oh, I had a 5.0 GPA. Oh, yeah. A lot of like it too, that. I think, is the way the teacher phrases the question because yeah. if you the way you question somebody, if it's a yes or no, you feel like an idiot if you're going to get it wrong. So you're not going to raise your hand for a question mm-hmm. that's. It's either you're either right or you're wrong, but yeah. it's more open ended. Yeah. And that encourages people to like, hey, maybe I take a shot at this. Exactly. And I yeah. remember this and I wrote about this in the book, too. I remember being in math class and I used to I, I still enjoy math, but it's not like I don't love algebra and all these, you know, geometry and all these big, complex uh, algorithms. But uh, in in math class, I had done some work and basically I did the. The work I didn't show my work exactly like I was supposed to, but I got the right answer, and I still it was counted wrong, and I was so furious um, <laughs> because the ter- teacher was like, "Well, you didn't do it how I taught you," and I'm like, "Well, I got to it from a different angle, but I still have the right answer. Doesn't yeah. that matter?" Yeah. And it it just didn't. I still got it wrong, and from that, I think it always stuck with me that yeah. there's sometimes there's multiple paths to the same answer, and just because you don't have someone's path doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. So right. Well. I- so I, I actually, I totally agree with you. The education system is a lot of where this stems from because I still to this day feel like a complete idiot if I don't know the answer because of how bad they made me feel growing up and how embarrassed I remember feeling. So I'd avoid that pain at all costs. And I, yeah. I would like for most of my young adult life, I would sit in the back of the class. I would try not to engage much. And so I remember not being the best student yeah. and, um, you know, that completely changed when I went to college. It was my own choice. I, I didn't go till I was later, like in my late twenties. And I was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do something that I really want to do. And it was like 4.0 and I graduated Kuma Sum Laude. And it was a night and day transition because yeah. when I went to get my transcripts from high school, they're like, are you sure you want to go to college? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it's because the environment made me feel so, I think, um, not prepared or they just didn't encourage questions in the sense that encourage growth mm-hmm. or collaboration with the, your, your students around you. It was like, you were supposed to know the answer. You were supposed to figure all the work out on your own. You should never look bad or make mistakes along the way. There's never much discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it created in me for the longest time analysis paralysis. As I got older, I was like, I want to do this. No, I probably wouldn't be good enough. Right. I don't, I don't think I would know how to market that or whatever came in my mind that fear and doubt won every single time. Mm -hmm. And I just wouldn't try anything out of of fear of failure, like genuine fear of failure. It's you just brought up your uh, transcripts from high school. I was just thinking, John, if you go look in his office right there, he's got his GPA framed up on the wall. It's like the worst GPA ever. (laughs) It's like, it's like not even a one point. Like, I mean, it it probably is barely, but it's so low. You will have to go look at that after the podcast. But, uh, but he's like, proud of it because yeah. like a lot of people were like you know uh basically saying you know you're never gonna make it like mm-hmm. he, he even has he said his high school principal was like i'm surprised you you made it i know and so now he's and now he's like probably wealthier than most of the people yeah he knew and he's doing great yeah he's, he's killing it i barely graduated high school i had to get help my junior year from one teacher who gave a crap enough to reach out and say i don't think you're gonna make it 
I, I want to help you do packets and all of that stuff. And it was just, and I, at that point didn't care. I was like, Oh, I don't care if I graduate. Cause I had felt so kind of like rejected in that system. Yeah. Um, that it was a miracle someone cared enough and i'm yeah. really grateful she did because having that diploma is a big deal yeah. like to transition to adulthood but for sure same same kind of thing just surprised that i had any gpa whatsoever yeah. i don't even think i showed up most of junior year and then had to make up for it big time senior yeah. year so yeah and it's funny too and i guess it's not funny it's more ironic but i mean i've got family and friends that you know have like a thick uh you know what you want to call it a hick accent whatever and people hear that and they immediately think they're dumb and it just yeah. annoys me to no end because i mean i grew up around farmers i still have you know family with farmers and honestly they're some of the brightest people i know oh yeah they just know how to basically keep us all alive by growing food and cattle and all that and yeah they don't have an ivy league degree but uh, it just really bothers me when someone you know hammers you with intellectual um whatever you want to call it uh i don't know i think i call it in the book something else but i call it intellectual humility but when you yeah. just get hammered over the top and make yeah. you feel dumb i just don't think it's a positive interaction for anyone right, right. so unfortunately i haven't read the book yet but i definitely will read it because i'm, hold, a, I'm, I'm a, gonna hold that against I'm you a, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a big reader so yeah. i love i uh i love reading so i definitely will read this i'll probably knock it out oh this is i'll probably knock this in out in a week yeah um but uh what are some like highlights or bullet points that you would like to cover um, in this podcast episode? Yeah, the probably the biggest, again, I kind of touched on, um, you know, just focusing on lessons instead of like the, the end result. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a big one. If you can figure out how to go into something knowing that there's a high likelihood of failing, but you're just, the whole goal is to learn a lesson. That's huge. Um, another one would be like, I'm on the spot now trying to like run through it in my head. Another one would be, um, I guess the biggest thing, which I kind of touch on at the end, for me, uh, one of the the greatest things for me was um, having my parents around too, and they kind of gave me the permission to fail, mm-hmm. and they didn't make me feel, you know, dumb or or like a like I wasn't smart or I was a bad kid for when I messed up because you know I I did some really dumb things when I was a kid, and I know it'd be really easy to be like, hey you're a little thief or you're, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and in reality, there's like, Hey, you messed up. You just need to do better next time. So I think that's a big component is just giving yourself grace. Yeah. Um, that's a big one. And that's, you know, I see people do that all the time. I was actually playing basketball uh, like a couple months ago with, with some guys and it was towards the end of the, the game and it was a close game, but one of the guys took a shot and it like rattled in and out, didn't go in. And on the way back down the court, he kind of mumbled to himself and he's like, just like my life, it just, it's never good enough. Ooh. And it's just hmm. that self-talk can mm-hmm. be so just deteriorating mm-hmm. for, for anyone, including yourself. So I would say just giving yourself grace because, you know, he, he tried to shoot a shot in basketball. And again, I come from a background of sports too. Yeah. But he tried. Yeah, he took the shot. Took the shot. Um, and it didn't work out. But I think just giving yourself grace through those moments is, is highly important. And then the biggest thing for me was uh, going back to, I think, my faith. Uh, at the end of the day, if I, like, fail and I'm a complete failure by the world's standards and I still, you know, have Jesus Christ, then for me, that's still a win. Mm. So it's almost been, it's it's taken away this fear of failure for me where I know I'm going to mess up and I know I'm not going to be perfect. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I believe I'm, I'm going to go to heaven and I believe that there's something more than just this physical life. 
So really, it doesn't matter what the world says or what they label me. I'm uh-huh. just no different. So yeah. playing for the big win, I see. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, uh, whether you're religious or not, I think faith is so powerful yeah. because it 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 uh, it's the opposite of fear. Fear enables or uh, inhibits us from doing a lot of things, but fear is the opposite of that. It's yeah. taking action. It's mm-hmm. trusting in yourself, and it's just like going after it and taking a step out in the dark, not knowing what the outcome is going to be, what the result's going to be. Exactly. So yeah. that's cool that you brought that up. What I love about this, uh, not just the book, but the whole concept, Justin, is in our world today, I don't think there's anything that's more important to really build into your work culture, right? Not being afraid to fail. We do mm-hmm. that as a two-second lean company. You've, you've interviewed uh, my, yeah. my business partner. We're, love you, yeah. We make tons of bad decisions or we fail constantly until we come to a much better process, mm-hmm. right? So building that in has made made our culture completely different than I think um, anywhere that I've worked before where it's really looked down upon to fail or even yeah. make some of those critical mistakes. And so new employees are the best. They're like, I'm sorry, you, you want me to fail? Or like, mm-hmm. you're okay if I try things and I mess up? And they're shocked. They yeah. can't wrap their head around it. So I, I really hope that entrepreneurs and business owners get their hands on this and really think how they can build this into their culture Mm -hmm. because it will be the make or break difference between how far your business thrives versus if it's going to fail or not. Exactly. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I love to, I love Hugh and had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago, but I love how failure to me, if you can encourage someone through failure, it's very empowering. Mm -hmm. And I love something that stood out uh, with what Hugh told me was he, he tries to get everyone uh, to fail 50 to a hundred times a day. That's the goal. That's pretty amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. if you really think about it, because it really does shift things. It takes away that fear. And like I said, it does empower people. So mm-hmm. I love what you guys do, how you empower employees. And even down to, to you don't call them employees. They're, what's the word for it? I can't remember. Oh, process engineers. Process engineers. I yeah. love that. I mean, yeah. there's, there's power in that. And I do mm-hmm. think there's power in words, too. So I just love how you guys empower people to work through failure. And you, you really invite it at the end of the day. I think that's something we got to do more with like even our, our kids is empower them to, uh, you know, do failures. I I even find myself knowing how important failure is to success. I'll even find myself with my kids. Like, no, you don't do it that way. No, this, no, that constantly. No, you can't do it that way. That's wrong. This is this. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, Write it back into the system, you yeah, know. Like, right. it's like sure it's trying to it's be difficult. perfect. Yeah. Well, and I like being able to take the stigma away from the yeah. word failure. Yeah. And making that more of an empowering statement. Yeah. Right? It's not. It's okay to fail. It's okay to learn from your mistakes. It's yeah. okay to figure out. Uh, sometimes learn the hard way. I do this, you know. Not or um, it's easy to even like criticize my dog, for example. I want him to never make a mistake. Yeah. And then he looks at me and he's like, what am I doing wrong? Right. Yeah. He has no clue. And I stopped. I took kind of the pressure off even that dynamic at home and I'll let him make really dumb decisions. Yeah. And then he's like, you could tell he's rattled or whatever, but he doesn't do that thing again. Yeah. So it's, it works with people. It works with animals. It works, I think, in a business setting incredibly well. For sure. And it reminds me of a story early on when we first finished the book to uh, my little nephew. He was, uh, he's big into flag football, so he's 12 now. I hope I get his age, age right. Anyway, he was, uh, he's been wanting to play quarterback for his flag football team for a while. And uh, he finally got the chance and Kendra and I were there at his game and 
uh, he went in and like popped in through a really like literally the first play uh, that he was in through like just a beautiful pass to midfield. The receiver drops it, so it's like you know that's a moment where it's either a failure, a success, a touchdown, or incompletion. And uh-huh. so like second down, third down, fourth down are all incomplete. So his first series is just awful. I mean, quote unquote awful. Awful. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to winning or whatever standards are. And uh, he stuck with it, and he kept playing. And throughout the whole game, I think he wound up throwing three touchdowns, third interception, but they wound up winning the game. Yeah. He was so excited. And uh, him and his dad, Derek, came up afterwards, and Derek looked at Nolan and just said, hey, Nolan, tell tell Justin and Kendra what you told me. And Nolan looked up to us, and, and he said, well, I was really scared to, to go in because I didn't, I didn't want to mess up. And he said, uh, then I remembered your book and how it was okay to fail, so I just went for it. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, that I so love cool. that. And honestly, it made me tear up. Like yeah. then, And the first time I told the story, I, was, I yeah. teared up too. Um, but that's the kind of thing too that I think kids are a lot smarter and a lot more intelligent than we give them credit for. Oh, 100%. and I hate to use the word smart, and I talk about that in the book too. Um, but I do think that kids can figure things out, and uh, if you just give them a direction and don't put uh, the pressure of being perfect mm-hmm. on them, mm-hmm. they will figure things out pretty quickly. And that's where, again, like you said, I just want to take away the stigma of failure. Yeah, let kids figure out that they're not you know, evil kids if they fail or they mess up or just because they steal a, a popsicle or something, they're not a thief. Like when in reality they are, they just messed up, but yeah. you know, it's there, there needs to be grace within that for sure. So. We, we put a lot of our limiting because kids are way more capable than we realize. Oh, yeah. And we just put those limiting beliefs on them. I mean, I've, I, like I said, I sometimes do it with my kids and like my wife and I, we've been working on it. We've been reading a lot of books on, you know, psychology and you know, how to handle kids and stuff. And it's like, we've been doing so many things wrong. <laughs> we've, we've been failing as parents, but, yeah. uh, but we're, we're learning a lot. And it's crazy because like my little girl's behavior has changed so much as we've been implementing, um, new strategies and stuff, but it's because we were failing yeah. the way we were doing it before. Yeah. Um, so it's just been awesome to see that. Definitely interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. and the big thing with failure too, is you just, you have to come from a place of humility. It's like, you have to be humble through it and know that you don't have all the answers. And you're not this like dumb kid or dumb guy, dumb adult, whatever, if you don't know the answer. It's just, it's okay. And I think we have to, we need to be vulnerable in front of kids yeah. and show them that we don't have all the answers and that's fine. Yeah. Well, and you said this twice. You brought up the concept of grace. Yeah. And you've really married that to failure. And I, I think that's such a powerful way to think about failure in general is without grace. Uh, I think we've all <laughs> failed a, yeah. a ton of times, but what, what helps you get back up is grace. Yeah. And so it, I mean, it sounds like that has had a really powerful connection to your spirituality mm-hmm. and kind of like your, your core beliefs. Mm-hmm. Do you want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I guess if I'm really nailing it down, I think grace and failure, like it's really failures, the story of, of the gospel, if I'm being completely honest, cause it's like, we're all imperfect we all can't do enough to be perfect, um, but you know Jesus died on the cross and then came back to life for to pay for our failures. In in all honesty, so um, if I can think through anything, and uh, maybe it's just opened my eyes to what the story of the gospel really is and how it really is um, a story of us being complete and utter failures. And uh, Jesus said, "That's okay. I'll 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 cover it." So yeah, I yeah. love that. It's the story of humanity. Yeah. For sure. And I just, I just loved that you kept mentioning grace in yeah. that equation. So. I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I want to know how, like, how did you, 
derive to this point like yeah when you're like man i'm gonna do a book about failure yeah like were you failing at something yeah. and you're like man this like i mean how did you come on this no i think that's good i think i i honestly got a point i forget the day or whenever it was but i was listening to a ton of podcasts reading a ton of books and i just over and over heard guys like kind of like beating their own chest and like well this is how i'm so good this is why because i made all these choices and i got mm. to the point and i was just like there's there's got to be stories of, of this and stories of wh- where they went wrong. And you'd hear one occasionally. Um, but that's not the sexy thing to put on exactly. all the social media stuff. It's not because yeah. social media is all about your, your highest and best self. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think social media kind of annoys me, to be completely honest. Um, but, yeah, it's part of it. But I'll go back to, uh, I think, someone who had a huge uh, deal in, in me writing the book uh, is Peter Stopko. So he's another Springfield guy. He went to Parkview. He came to me probably five or six years ago and said, hey, I've got this idea for this men's journal. It's I feel like it's been on my heart. Um, and so we talked through it. I said, hey, this is how much I think it would cost to do. Uh, I don't think I can do it. Fast forward, he actually wound up doing it. It's out. If you've never seen it, it's called the Kinsman Journal. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's like, a, it's like a luxury magazine. He's doing an annual thing. It's thick. It's You just have to see it. It's beautiful. Huh. Anyway, he had me write an article on infertility. Uh, and my wife and I have been going through infertility for, you know, the last decade, which that's a whole nother story in and of itself. But I wrote the article for it. It was a really raw article, um, kind of just like my battle with, with God, to be honest, and kind of what that looks like. And at the end of the day, just saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where this is leading, but uh, hopefully at the end of the day, I can still trust that, you know, it's for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that article, I really... Uh, I guess I just found it therapeutic mm. and I found more, um, I don't want to say I got more out of it than someone else could, but I think it was just very yeah therapeutic for me. So with that, I just kept writing and then I thought, okay, well, if I can be, you know, if I can write a, a short essay on this, then what does it look like if I keep writing? And that's where kind of the book started. And then as you write, it's the funny thing about writing, which we kind of touched on already. It just, it's, um, it, it's a clarifying moment. Mm-hmm. Like you get all the junk out of your head and you just write it down. And it's like this refining moment of clarity. Uh, so that was, that was really fun. And I, I kind of got hooked on it and I thought, well, I'm just going to keep writing, see where it goes, see where it forms. And then it's either going to be terrible or it's going to be not terrible. We'll mm-hmm. see. Right. You hope it doesn't suck. Yeah, exactly. I, but I, every day yeah. I write, I'm like, man, I hope this doesn't suck because <laughs> yeah. I'm putting a lot of time into it. But so there were a fun. lot of days where it sucks and it's still like, like I said, this, the book's not perfect and that's, that's kind of the point. And there's yeah. still like, if you read the book, you'll probably find Easter eggs of where I misspelled a word still and like where we just missed it. But I kind of like that in a yeah, way because it's, it's raw. It's real. It is. It's raw. And obviously I want the book to be readable. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I still mess up even writing this book and like taking it to publishing and all that. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. I, and I have a, a question. I'm going to try to articulate this right. How I'm thinking about it in my head. I want to kind of switch gears to entrepreneurship. Yeah. This book isn't providing you the millions of dollars that's sustaining your best yeah. and highest lifestyle, which means you have other businesses or you have other things that you have to do to take care of your family, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're a very busy guy, Justin. He, you've done very well in this area. And I think you've expanded into a lot of unique areas of real estate mm-hmm. uh, along with other ventures. And so there was a book by Richard Paul Evans, Five Things a Millionaire Taught Me. Mm. And one of the things he talks about is always analyzing your time versus what you're getting for that time, like yeah. what value that's yeah. providing. 
And so a big question, as I'm sure there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening, how do you decide when your time isn't worth failing anymore at that thing? Like how, mm. how do you decide where to focus your time? Because you have so much going on yeah. that if you, if you don't learn to focus your time, you are going to fail at lots of things, not yeah. just one or two things. Yeah. Right. I guess I'll go back to a farming or a farming analogy. And I look at it more as planting seeds is the best way I know how to say it. So, uh, and we kind of mentioned, uh, off air too, that how, you know, if you're not enjoying something, maybe it's not for you, but also there's this weird thing of, you know, sometimes you start enjoying something, the more, uh, the more you do it. So I would say for me, it's planting seeds. So like with this book, like I'm, I'm, I've lost money writing the book, publishing the book, all that. It's like, I'm, I'm probably, there's a high chance that I will never make money in book, but that's not the point. I think the point is to ma- to plant seeds. The point of the podcast is to plant seeds. So for me, it's more of a timeline or, um, you know, with the podcast, I want to get to hundred episodes. So I'm going to get to hundred episodes and then we're going to reevaluate and go from there. And if at that point I see that those seeds aren't bearing any fruit at all, then maybe we shift gears and we do something else. But I think anything we do, um, it goes back to, I'm looking maybe a year in the future mm-hmm. or five years in the future. What can I do now in order to have fruit five years from now? Uh, and along the way, if I just have, you know, I, I'm okay pivoting too. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times where things just don't work out and that's okay too. And I think that's part of the failure story just because you quit something or it doesn't work out. It's okay. It's to me, all it's doing is opening another door of opportunity. So would you say that you build in a little bit of a grace period for failure along whatever you pursue before you give up on it? Yeah. So you, you give yourself a little bit of time and yeah. leeway to fail or, you know, see what's going to happen yeah. before you abandon that and move on to the next Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. I love the grace period. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm all for that. So awesome. And yeah. I'm just speaking from my own personal life. I have 300 interests yeah. <laughs> and I have to decide where to put my time that's most effective yeah especially since you have things outside of like writing books and you know real estate investments you have your family you have a life you there there's so much that Mm -hmm. makes up one's life if you will yeah and how and how to live your life outside of just uh, what you do for work but i appreciate you kind of yeah and i touching on that i think that's something i've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs lately and you know there's i've talked to some guys that have 50 60 70 million dollars and at the end of the day they're saying hey it's really i've grinded for 20 years and i have this like massive amount of money but i lost my family in the process and Mm -hmm. it's not worth it and that's what that's the kind of and we, we talk about skipping failures a little bit in the book too with mentors that's what I really want to take to heart. And I want to learn from other people who are already 20, 30 years ahead of me saying, don't do this. And then me being, instead of me saying, oh, it's fine. That was you. Yeah. This is different mm-hmm. saying, yeah, you're right. I should focus on my family. I should make time to do this. And and honestly, uh, at the end of the day, maybe I should only work 20, 30 hours a, a day or yeah. a day. <laughs> don't, Sounds like th- an yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's like a Freudian slip, but yeah. <laughs> 20 or 30 hours a week and mm-hmm. th- and that's okay and it doesn't mean I don't work hard it just means that you know I value my time with my family or my wife um and 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 that's fine I'm I'm listening to a book right now and I can't remember the title but I think it's like psychology of money um and it talked I love that book I saw it's one of my favorite books and you just made me think of one of the principles in there is like when is enough enough when mm-hmm. when is it enough yeah. um and Dane's actually been mentoring me a lot um and we've been talking a lot about, you know, the eight gardens, uh, in your life, um, you know, the different areas, you know, your health, yeah. your, your relationships and things like that. And it's, uh, interesting. It seems like 
there's a fa- there's a season to everything. It seems like there needs to be a grind phase, right? Yeah. Because it seems like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've done the grind now. Mm-hmm. Now you're in a position to where you're not, you've gone through the hierarchy of needs that you're not worried about providing for your family. You're not worried about having a home over your, you know, having yeah. a home, having food, yada, yada, yada. Now you're like, well, what kind of impact can I have? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned the psychology of money and I don't, I'm not like trying to name drop, but I got to meet Morgan Housel and, um, last year and talk wow. with him. So really? he up, like signing a book, but anyway, um, read the book and got to talk to him a little bit about what that looked like. And he actually spoke at an event I was at. And I think just the idea of, uh, again, I think it comes from a place of humility, but not not everyone does the same thing, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for me, what the biggest takeaway with that was, you know, it's like uh, my dad, I, I love my dad. We have different um, views on debt. Like, you know, he doesn't really want to take on any debt. And, you know, if he buys real estate or something, he wants to have as little as possible. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, am uh, kind of different with that. But yeah. at the end of the day, and I think what the psychology of money told me or taught me, was Both whatever okay. yeah whatever helps you sleep at night that's fine and if honestly you don't like real estate and you want to do stocks and and you can sleep at night and that's your comfort that's fine but mm. sometimes it's also good to get out of your comfort zone yeah um but at the same time i think yeah the biggest thing is w- what we can do too often is like this is the way to do it this is and we kind of touched on with teachers earlier this is the only way to do it and it's just not true because there are lots of ways to invest. There are lots of ways to spend your time. And just because you're not doing it exactly like someone else mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's wrong. Yeah. Well, I, I love this topic because this is something I struggle with at my core. I have this part of me and I wasn't born and raised on a farm, but it's still the whole concept of I want to go out and conquer the world. Yeah. And I'll almost put everything else on hold to go and meet some objective. It's like this hyper focus. And I've done that in the mm-hmm. past and it does it your health suffers or your relationships suffer, whatever that is. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to run into some mentors who were smarter and older and wealthier than me and said, what you're going to lose along that path might be worse than the reward that you get for mm-hmm. what you think you're after. And so it's kind of woken me up a little bit. I've had to force myself constantly to slow down mm-hmm. and remind myself, don't trade what you have for the idea of, of shiny carrot, yeah. so to speak, that, that you're tra- or chasing all the time. For sure. When that hit home for me is we were living in Japan, my wife and I, she was active duty military and we went down to Bali and those people live so in tune with nature. When we were there, there was something, it just like, did you ever see Fern Gully when you were growing up? Yeah, heard of it. Heck yeah, man. (laughs) I definitely watched that, dude. (laughs) It was... Is that an 80s? That was an 80s cartoon, right? Yeah, I'm an 80s kid. So like, man... It like reawoken my love for nature and how simple the connection between mankind and nature is that we've lost with yeah. with the pursuit of success and yeah. owning businesses and needing to do all these things as a society in the mm-hmm. West. And I just thought when I left there, I was like, I'll never, uh, you know, buy into the lie again that all this stuff means more to me than how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not there and I, I'm like buying back into like, yeah. I need to go out there and, and hustle and do all this stuff. But it was this, it, it showed to me that at our fundamental core, what humans need is the connection to their source, yeah. to, to God, to nature, strong relationships, mm-hmm. in addition to a way to provide for your family, for sure. But yeah. you're right. I ask myself that all the time. What, when's enough? Enough. Yeah. And what would that number be to me? that I would never be willing to trade anything 
outside of that to go get more mm-hmm. quote unquote. Yeah. So, and that goes back to the psychology of money. I, I too. have to read that. Yeah. You need to read it. It's, oh, it really man. is good. Um, but it goes back to that where he's like, you know what? The number is different for different people. Yeah. And it may be $30,000 for me because that's my lifestyle and I don't need a lot. It may be 300000 to someone else. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the important thing is figure out what your number is, get there. And then I've, I've just seen it too many times over the last couple of years where someone gets, you know, like they have a goal of I want to get to $5 million in my business or I want $5 million in my bank account. They get to five and they're like, well let's get to 10. I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it's like, let's get to 20, yep. 50. And it, and never, it never stops. Ends. The yeah. grind never stops. Yeah. I remember getting pitched early on to be an insurance salesman by someone, I forget his name, which I wouldn't mention anyway. But anyway, he pitched me and he was just like, Hey, if you just grind for five years, you can retire in five years. But basically you got to work a hundred hours a week okay. for five years. And you probably won't see your wife a lot, but in five years, you're going to have a great life. And yeah. I just... I, might, might not have the wife at the end of exactly, it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I know I had some some great mentors, including my dad, that you know steered me away from that too. But uh, I think, like you said, the shiny object syndrome, so many people can like look ahead five, 10 years and think, well, if I grind and I do this, I'll get there. But they they fail to see what they're going to lose along the way, like what you're seeing. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. Well, my wife, I love her to death, but she's more needy than she'll ever <laughs> she'll ever admit. She would never let me grind 100 hours a week. Yeah. She expects me to be Superman. So yep. balance between work, life, and be rich as heck. So yeah. I got to figure this out. I but. think that's the, honestly, I think that's the biggest reason for like so many divorces nowadays because men and women are so different. And the more that we try and like men try and be like women and women try and be like men, like we're meant to help each other mm-hmm. and like sharpen each other. And I know Kendra, for me, same thing. If I was single, I would work 18 hours out of the day. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I would. But I know she definitely helps me scale it back. And instead of seeing that as, you know, something that's bad and just letting it annoy me to no end, I have to see it as similar to what, like, I say failures are a gift. I have to see it as a gift and, like, see her as a mentor myself. Because right. um, one of the biggest things I've struggled with over the last couple of years and I've realized is focus and I think it's one of my biggest superpowers, but it's also one of my biggest kryptonites yep. that yep. I can sit, I can focus on something and focus and focus. But at the same time, if I'm at home and there's a TV, there's TV on, or if there's even music playing, like with words, I listen to the TV, I listen to the words. And if Kendra tries to talk to me, I can't focus on both things. So <laughs> yeah. if I'm already focused on the music <laughs> yep. and she's talking to me, she's like, what did I just say? I'm like, I don't know. I was listening to the lyrics of <laughs> yeah. the song. Yeah. Right. So I've got, I've tried to get better at like, we don't have just TV on in the background of the house. We don't just have random music. And if we do, I shut it off yeah. and I try and turn my full attention. Cause I have noticed that my, I can't multitask. That's, that's one of been one of my biggest struggles is because I can be so hyper-focused that I can literally tune everything out. Well, we have a joke that Jake's like a rabid dog. You, you sick him on something. <laughs> Seriously, I can get so hyper-focused that nothing else matters until I complete the thing that I'm trying to do or yep. whatever I'm trying to accomplish. Like, so hyper-focused. But it... But it, it's a problem sometimes because a lot of times, uh, even if I'm ha- supposed to have family time, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to be there with my kids. I'm physically there, but I'm not present. Like yeah. I'm just not, yeah. it's, I got to be more intentional. Yeah. And it's because I'm so hyper-focused on my goal of, you know, mm-hmm. this or that and this and that. And mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's hard to shut that off, but yeah. it's crucial. And I, I've been working through that myself. Yeah, I, I will probably always be working through that. So yeah. just maybe just a little bit better every day. And just like, instead of, you know, 
taking me 10 minutes to get out let's let's go to nine minutes and 59 seconds to get out of that frame of mind and then just work work that way but that's where the magic is if you can learn to be present where you're at yeah along the journey right and live your best life like you would once you quote unquote make it i tell people this all the time if you don't make time for your hobbies now when you're rich and you have a lot of responsibility and Mm -hmm. liability you're not going to have time for your hobbies then either whatever patterns you adopt along the journey is what stick with you it's not like you're going to grind for five years and be like made it going to do whatever i want now you're going to be stuck in this Mm -hmm. cycle of grind and, mm-hmm. and sacrifice well it's also because it's what's comfortable you it's already familiar yeah and you're good at it and we're yeah you're good at it and you exactly. and it's like the what is it the beast you know or how does that saying go you're you're never afraid to um it, it's easier to face the 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 devil that oh, you know yeah oh, right? yeah yeah to, and um I, I just see so many times like myself included i get impatient i'm like man i want that new tundra so yeah. bad or like yeah. it's been on my mind a lot lately yeah. or like that dream house on on the land that i want to build i've yeah. always wanted to design and build my own house yeah but i failed to realize well i constantly remind myself i live right now in a house hack that i pay nothing to live yeah. at so no bills is the greatest feeling in the world when you don't have a mortgage payment we just dialed it in, redid the kitchen. I've got a garden thriving out in the back and I have to stop myself and be like, things are okay. Things are yeah. good. Like, why do I have to jump into all this other stuff right now? Be present and yeah. enjoy the journey. Yeah. yeah. So. And you bring up patience too. And I think that's such an important part of failures too, is that we get so impatient. And if we fail right away, um, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not winning yet. I'm not good at this yet. But if we yeah. can be patient at so many things, including failures, um, I think it, it just goes so far, but patience is hard, just yeah. like humility and a lot of <laughs> That's these my other weakest things. attribute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. I think most entrepreneurs truly, Yeah, because you're, you're great at going out and making things happen and it's never fast enough. And you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It could always be done quicker and more money made sooner, but. I think that's the curse of entrepreneurship is the impatience Mm -hmm. to get what you're after. Yeah. And that's why I'm grateful, like growing up on a farm, because I got to see patience in action with my grandpa planting because it's like you plant seed. Yeah. And then you don't see anything for, I don't know, a month and Mm -hmm. you just hope and you pray and you pray it rains and you have to be patient. But, you know, two, three months later, there's there's a harvest. But it really is about patience. Farming is. Yeah. Well, let's segue. Uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast here. We definitely need to get you back on. I feel like uh, there's a yeah. lot we could dive more into. Um, but we go to the what we call the final three. It's the last three questions that we ask everybody on the on the, on the podcast. Um, so the first question is: Is what's the most recent book you've read besides your own? <laughs> yeah. And what's one thing you've learned from it? Yeah. So right now I'm reading. So I like bouncing back and forth between like uh, spiritual, like Christian books, and then uh, secular books, whatever you want to call it. So I just got done reading The Unseen Realm, which is mind blowing for me. And then right now I'm reading um, Becoming Supernatural by Joe Dispenza. I got that book, and that's like one of the next. It's crazy. Third book I think I'm supposed to read. I like I just yeah. recently bought that. So it's thick, but it's crazy. And it's one of those where I've highlighted so much, but it I think it's taught me how powerful your mind is. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you listened to his podcast? No. I've had so many people <sighs> tell me I should. Some of the um, stuff he says on his podcast. I mean, it's like... Yeah, it's um, but it's, it's just a game like changer. <laughs> the thing that stands out to me so far in the book, other than, you know, just like the the getting yourself in a mind to like heal your body, which is, is kind of crazy in of itself. And then it leads to so many other spiritual questions. But, Mm -hmm. um, I think the story or the, there's a, um, a research 
I don't know what you want to call it. Anyway, there was a research or a study done on people who, uh, I think 50 people were told to do push-ups. The other 50 people were told to meditate about doing push-ups and not do push-ups. And the people that meditated about doing push-ups gained more and gained like 18% more muscle than the people that actually did (laughs) push-ups. I mean, it's nuts. No way. Yeah, it's nuts. And he's got multiple studies like that. And then case studies, and it's just—it's. I really think some crazy. people think the mind is like like that. That stuff's like a voodoo thing, yeah. but dude, like. Well, I mean, he talks about yeah. Su- the word supernatural it can be scary, yeah. obviously, because it's like you hear about people like trying like I want to be immortal. Yeah. I don't think that's what he's talking about. No. But just the supernatural way to use your mind, it, mm-hmm. it does seem supernatural. But again, if I go back to like, you know, we have a God that created us. I mean, he built within us a pretty crazy mind and a pretty crazy heart and like our our system to me is like there's no doubt it's designed so if it's designed then we have to have like a fine tuning with it somehow and maybe joe dispenses on to something yeah well it goes back to classic visualization Uh, from an athlete's standpoint yeah they would visualize whatever Mm -hmm. the outcome that they desire it's the same thing as meditating on doing push-ups yeah and you know there i'm sure there's the, the familiar mechanism within that process, yeah. but the mind is incredibly powerful. Every every self help book says you change your mind, you change your life. Yeah, so it, it makes perfect sense. And I did the visualization in college too. I I still w- w- playing baseball when I was on deck. I would visualize getting the hit. I'd visualize hitting a home run, whatever. The hardest part was when that didn't come to fruition was dealing with that failure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, every time I would visualize, okay, I'm going to get a fastball on the outside part. I'm going to hit yeah. it this way. I'm going to get a curveball and I'm going to hit it to left field. Um, visualization is so important. So it important. seems like always the top performers have very uh, strong mindsets and, and can really tap into a really deep visualization, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was a long winded answer. No, no, that's, question. that's great. Yeah. Um, so the next, the next question is, is like, what's one principle you strive to live your life by? Yeah. The biggest thing I think is just being a resource. Like I just want to be a resource for, for people. And I know, um, there's a time and place for, you know, charging for things, but also I really always want to be available for people. And I want someone to be able to, to call me, you know, especially someone who's close to me and say, Hey, how did you do this? And instead of being like, Hey, go, Go take my course mm-hmm. online just saying, here's how I did it, Yeah. Um, but it's it's up to you to do it. So whatever it is, whatever, if it's contacts and someone's like, hey, how did how did you get this loan or how did you meet this person? I just send them the contact instead of, oh, yeah, it was a long journey and maybe you'll get there one day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to be maybe a shortcut for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really strive uh, to just, just be a resource. That's, I'm, I yeah. love that. You're perfectly in line with what we are trying to do on this podcast. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, last question is, um, what's the greatest piece of advice you've been given? Mm. I think the greatest piece of advice was early from my dad. And I actually, I talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago with someone, um, it's that money is a tool and it's really simple. It's really straightforward. But honestly, if you think about money as a tool, then you can either use it uh, as evil or you can use it as good. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really helped, especially, you know, having, you know, missionary friends and, and maybe even family that thinks money, there's a lot of evil within money, yeah. uh, especially in this area. Like there, there is still a lot of that. Uh, if you can get past that and just understand that making money, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you put making money ahead of your morals or your character, then it's, things aren't going to go well. Right. At the end of the day, if you can make money and then be a resource and provide 
um, you know, a, a meal for someone or give, be able to pay off someone's mortgage or whatever it is. Money is a pretty big tool in either relieving someone's stress or just giving them like a little glimpse of, of hope. Yeah. So I think that was the best thing was just my dad teach me early on that money's a tool. I want to say this one thing about money too. Cause like <laughs> you said, there is a lot of that where people like, Oh, um, in fact, I know somebody, I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast cause I know he probably listens to it, <laughs> but his wife is like, you know, my, my dad was rich and wealthy and, and he was a jerk. Yeah. And so money's bad. But it's like money only magnifies the type of person you are. Exactly. Whether you're a good person or not, it's just going to magnify that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, um, mon- money, money's a game. Like it's it a is. game. Mm-hmm. That's the way I've been starting to look at it more and more. It's like it's a game. It's almost like it's it's becoming more fun now uh-huh. because I'm like, man, this is it's a game, and yeah. I might lose. Yeah. But if I keep playing the game, I'm gonna get better at it. Yeah. And I think it's funny too, because, uh, what changed for me, like money too, is just the word fiat. And if you don't know what fiat means, go look it up. I don't have to explain it, but once you understand that money is completely fake, um, then it kind of frees you up to make some, maybe some investing decisions or you don't have to hold on to it too, too, so tightly. Uh, so that's, that's been fun. You mean it's not the little Italian car? Uh, yeah. The fiat, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly where yeah. my mind went. Look, Man, look I up. Need to, I need to look. This I up should. Uh, yeah, fiat currency is what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, don't look up just fiat. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Thanks for coming on the podcast. This was awesome. You're definitely in line with a lot of the stuff that I'm all about. I love self improvement stuff. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So I'm so glad you came on the podcast, man. Well, Jake, thanks for having me, Dane. Thanks for being a, an awesome co-host. So yeah. it's been it's been really fun. Been so if cool, you guys man. ever want to do it again, let me know and be up for it. For sure. Let's okay. do it. Cool. cool. Thank you for listening to the Growth Circle podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Jake and John on Instagram at Jake Engledew and at John underscore the underscore builder. Until next time.